Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large at Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today is the 4th of July, so happy Independence Day to all of our American listeners and to all our British listeners, no hard feelings. Today, we're going to play an interview from the 2018 Code Conference, which I co-produced with Recode's executive editor, Peter Kafka. This is an interview with Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. I talked to him alongside Recode's editor-in-chief, Dan Fromer. Regular listeners will know that I just had Brian on the show talking about the immigration crisis in Texas and how tech leaders respond to political issues. But this interview is all about Airbnb itself. Let's take a listen. So we've had a lot of great interviews. This is someone I've known for a really long time. Also, I seem to know everyone for a really long time. I'm really old. And this is, I brought out with me Dan Fromer, who is the editor-in-chief of Recode, um, who is also a travel expert, too. Um, And we're going to interview Brian Chesky. He's the co-founder, head of community, and CEO of Airbnb. And come on out, Brian. Hello. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So we're going to talk about responsibility, regulation, travel, yeah. all the fun stuff. But I think I want to ask you first, you know, last night we got to see in Evan Spiegel, um, you know, the, the joy and agony of being a young CEO yeah. and everything that comes along with that. Um, and since we've had you out here a few years ago, how have you changed? What's your style as CEO and how are you learning and evolving as a leader? Well, I came here in 2015, and around that time, we were like a really big adolescent. And the, um, you know, when you start a company, you're really building a product. And at some point, you have to build a small team, and you learn all these um, things that made you successful. Like you can dive in, you can help people, you can solve problems. And one day, it feels like everything you do doesn't matter because the company's too big. And you have to start to run the company fairly differently. And so the last couple years, it's been very, very clear that part of what I need to now be doing is building an incredibly strong management team and spending a lot more time building the team and building the platform for all future innovation. So we had this very successful single product, Homes, and we thought to ourselves, well, we want to be a company that's going to be around for a long, long time. And so to be able to do that, I want to be able to have an executive team that's going to be with me for you know, a dozen years or longer, the way Steve did or Jeff did at Amazon. And so that's kind of probably the biggest thing that I've been doing like, more so, recently. So talk about that, because you've had yeah. some turnover. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a high-profile departure, especially. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk about different ideas yeah. of, of how to run Airbnb. Yeah. What happened there? Well, there, there wasn't tell too, us honestly what happened there. There, there. there wasn't too much. I mean, LT wanted to go start his own company, and we did have uh, slightly different visions. But you know, all of us in the management team disagree quite a lot, and we've had not a ton of turnover um, on the team. We've had like, two executives leave, and we're going to need to get another CFO. But the, what was reported, the amount of disagreement, wasn't actually nearly what it was. I mean, there was a report we were disagreeing about aviation. That was actually not true. So you know, we definitely had some differences in how we wanted to, like what we thought the mountaintop was. But it wasn't nearly so what, what was played up. What was your mountaintop? I don't care what his is because he's just the CFO. But what was yours? It was really about building this end-to-end travel app where um, you could be this global travel community. Mm-hmm. And I think the key that makes Airbnb so different is the fact that we're a community, not just a series of commodities. And so the people who miss under Airbnb, they tend to just see a bunch of real estate. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is real estate. It's, you know, you know, people have a bunch of opinions about real estate being rented on a short-term basis. But of course, what they, you know, if you look a little deeper, what you're going to see are 3 million people, our host, 
And that's in many ways what you're really buying. And so I think the idea of building a community marketplace is the, kind of the big idea here. Meaning, and you wanted to build it slower or not as profitable or what, how do you? I mean, I think that, um, I don't think there was a fundamental um, misalignment. I don't want to get into a ton of details about like what, what the misalignment, what any misalignments, but you know, we really have a huge ambition, I think an extremely long time horizon. And there's a lot of areas you can invest in and we've decided that we want to focus on the things that are most differentiated, the things that are most oriented around community. So that whether that's um, going into experiences or doubling down on China. These are things that really strengthen the global network effect, and they are really important for us. So let's talk about experiences, yeah. because that was something that you rolled out uh, over a year ago. Big event in LA, um, yeah. impressive event. Um, I don't really hear about them, though. I don't see them. I don't see friends bragging that they're on a cool Airbnb experience. I see, this is my beautiful Airbnb, yeah. Yeah. but not we're on a great uh, taco tour or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Are people using them as a success or a and failure? Let me say, I've done four of them. I what have you done? She's uh, done them. Sake tasting, ramen making. Yeah. Ooh. Such a ridiculous San Franciscan. Um, a <laughs> photography one, yeah. and then a crabbing one, I think. I, I, yes, they were great. Oh, good, great. good. They were fantastic. Well, no one really heard about Airbnb homes when they first started. And so to give you a sense, experiences we're doing about a million and a half bookings a year on an annualized basis. It's growing about 10 times faster than homes. So it's growing much, much faster, but it's obviously on a much smaller base. Now you expect it to grow faster because we have all the traffic. Um, the review ratings for experiences are significantly higher than homes. About 91, 92% of people leave a five-star review. And the big lesson here is we learned a lot of lessons from the homes business. See, when we started the homes business, my role models were eBay and Craigslist. Those were the big classified sites. Mm -hmm. And they basically had an idea that a website should be like an immune system. In other words, let the community moderate itself. And you know, 300 million people later, I will say there are limitations to letting the community moderate itself. Yeah, we'll get into and that later. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> and so what we ended up doing is saying, we are actually gonna verify every single experience. I mean, we actually didn't verify them and we had a beta and a woman had an experience where you would go to a beach with her and you'd pick up trash while she yelled at you. And that was the moment we realized we should absolutely be verifying this because a bad house is only so bad, you have to live in it. Right. But a bad experience could be kind of this nightmare you can't escape. I'm really sorry I posted that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, with Kara Swisher, it can be kind of fun. I'm posting to her. Yeah. Exactly. No, but the truth is they're, 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 they're doing incredibly well and I think over the next year, you're gonna hear a lot more about them. And in terms of getting them in a central, one of the things that was interesting when I was on the experience is that there were a lot of sites like this. For There were like 10 companies, yeah. I don't remember the names of all of them, that were trying to do these they're things. Not they're not working. They're not working or they're There's not existing. There's two problems with these sites. The first is most of them don't have traffic. Right. And so everyone needs a home. Most people don't consciously search online on Google or think they need to have an experience. So these sites lack the traffic and we have more than half a billion people you're searching. The other problem that's less obvious is that I think these other sites are basically doing tourism. Mm -hmm. Basically stuff that if you live in the city you would never do. Like let's go in Fisherman's Wharf and hang out and do things that nobody in San Francisco ever does. That's what tourism is, doing what a local person would never do. And so we said, let's create these experiences in the eyes of a local. What would I want to do if I actually live there? Mm -hmm. And that was basically the difference. Yeah, and they also like the centrality of it, the numbers, because they were on Google doing it, a yeah. lot of these things, and they got, they de it definitely should work. It's just a question of how big a business is that for you? Somebody once said, you know, if, I don't know how big it is. I mean, that's anyone's guess. 
But well, no, you and, need to guess. Yeah. You can't just guess. You <laughs> nobody, nobody knew how big Airbnb was going to be when we started. You know, the market size was something we were creating. When you're creating a market, the ceiling of that market is unknown. And here's what I will say. If you combine the market cap of Amazon and Alibaba, these are greater than trillion dollars for physical goods sold. How big could the opportunity for experiences be? I don't know, but it should rival it. It doesn't mean we'll take all of it, but three and four millennials said they'd rather buy an experience than a physical good. Mm -hmm. And there are more millennials in the world than non-millennials, especially outside the United States. If you look at the emerging economies of China and India. So I actually think, you know, we talked a lot about the sharing economy and mm -hmm. that term probably frankly got misappropriated and it's not even clear what that term even means anymore. But the experience economy, not to create a new term because that will probably also get turned into something else, but there will probably be a massive economy around experiences and we'll just be one player in that economy. But I think it will be really, really big. So what about other businesses? That, well, we have the China business. We've had 10 million people in China use Airbnb, and we have 200,000 homes. We are probably one of the most successful American companies in China. So uh, Senator Warner just talked about American companies selling their souls in China. Talk about the problems. Yeah. Now, you have a different situation. You're not trading content. You're not. No. But information, certainly, and data about people. Well, one thing we've decided to do, so when we went to China, we said we have to identify the bright lines that we don't want to cross, and then we'll do business so long as those aren't our bright lines. And there were kind of obvious stuff about protecting user data. Um, and then there was something that emerged. Every time you go to a hotel, you must give your ID to the hotel, and they give the copy of that license to these public security bureaus, these local police departments. And we had to make a decision. We can either not do business or do business. And we said, we'll do what the Hilton does, because that feels like within reason. So we'll be transparent. If the Hilton collects your passport, we'll collect your passport. We'll give that to the public security bureau. And so that's the primary thing we do. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same thing as what um, you'd see here in the United States. Is the product dramatically different there? Or, it's a or? little different. I mean, one of the things that we learned was company after company after company had failed in China. Mm -hmm. And the reason they failed, and this is a story of like basically every tech company that tried, like Amazon, is they were so successful in Brazil. And then they go to India, and it works. And you go to China, and you're like, well, China's different, but so is India, and it worked in India. And every single person told us, just treat it like a separate universe, decentralize it, don't have any reporting other than the head of China report into San Francisco, well, some of the control functions. So we decentralized engineering, decentralized design, decentralized all these groups, and then I took one of my co-founders, Nate, and we said, your focus is just gonna be the chairman of China, and that basically means we're gonna get local Chinese people to run China, not Americans, we're gonna have an American person here that's gonna be there like every two, every three weeks. Mm -hmm. And that model has worked really well with us, the other thing I would just say is, it's not rocket science. We have a global travel network. When you're a global travel network, you're going to have hundreds of millions of millennials who want to leave China. If they want to stay in a home, they're going to have to choose a global platform, probably. Yeah. So the model helped us there. We're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back to this interview with Brian Chesky of Airbnb from the Code Conference after this. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Sure, your bank or PayPal can get your money from A to B, but that transfer will cost you more than it should, a lot more. That's the old way of doing things. Let me tell you about the new, smarter, and cheaper way to send money internationally, TransferWise. TransferWise was founded by two friends, Tabit and Christo, who were frustrated by their bank's bad exchange rates and high fees. They wondered, what if we could bypass the banks entirely? So they built TransferWise. That was seven years ago. 
Today, more than 2 million people use TransferWise, people sending money home, businesses paying suppliers, freelancers getting paid, the list goes on. TransferWise's clever new technology gives you a great exchange rate and a low fee. So it'll put some extra money in your pocket for more important things. No one has ever said it's important that my bank get some extra money. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash podcast or download the app. Once again, that's transferwise.com slash podcast. It's the wise way to send money. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Kara, you're going to love this conversation. You know why? Because you are a smart person with an avid interest in technology and media. That's why you're doing this podcast. Um, I talked to someone who's exactly like you, Eugene Way, early Amazon employee, product guy, Flipboard product guy, Hulu product guy at Oculus, uh, really big brain, um, wrote an essay that went viral a little while ago explaining the sort of the limits and challenges that Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook all face. He's a really smart dude, and he spent an hour talking with me, and you can listen to it for free. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of global platforms, um, you know, you say you have a lot of traffic. You're hardly alone in having a lot of traffic yeah, for, right. for selling travel. Um, and it seems that seeing your success, many of the global travel vendors have started to sell vacation rentals, yep. basically non-Airbnb, Airbnbs. Um, I just got an email from Chase saying I can now book vacation rentals with my ultimate rewards points. Really? With Chase? Yeah. Nice. Um, Booking.com is, is, is <laughs> massive. Yeah, Chase B&B. Yeah. Nice, okay. Um, booking is massive. I, I'm curious, besides, you know, you say you have traffic, what else, what's, what's the real advantage what, what to being Airbnb? Like, why does it matter that I would rent something from you as opposed to booking or anyone else? Well, it depends on if you're asking from a customer standpoint or the business strategy. I can answer both if you'd like. Please. Okay, it's the business strategy. There's, I'd say, four or five big differentiators. The first is the, first is the global network effect. Um, every company, by the way, this is like the most misappropriated term in tech, which is network effect. Our global network effect is quite different than, say, ride sharing, which is a local network effect. And after three minutes, you know, you don't really care if there's more cards in the road. With Airbnb, we're in 81,000 cities. We're in all price points. And we have a huge range of homes. So the network gets stronger as we add more inventory. The they second, don't? They don't have that? Only you have that? We have a unique people-to-people network effect. So our number one source of host, our prior guest. And so um, there's a flywheel where how do you actually recruit all these different hosts? That's a hard problem to solve, except that Which we Which I saw is, is uh, in the Mary Meeker slide, quite a few Quite a people. few. Well, there's five million homes now. Yeah. Um, number two is this incredibly passionate community. There's many home rental websites. There's not many communities. And the community is important because of the five million homes, three and a half million only list on Airbnb. And they choose to only list on Airbnb. And they don't seem interested in listing elsewhere. That's pretty important. Like a lift in an Uber driver. Yeah, the, 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 the number, um, it's not who has the most homes. It's who's got the most unique inventory. Because we can all add boutique hotels and B&Bs. Like they'll, which they'll we list, haven't been doing. As which well. we have been doing. And we'll add, we'll add a lot more of those. So that's the second thing. Um, the third is well, the thing I just said, unique inventory. The brand is probably number four. And the last one is we're trying to build an ecosystem. You know? So we want to build a one-stop shop for travel. Now, a lot of other sites are trying to do that, but we want to be truly integrated right. so you can see homes, you can see experiences. We're going to kind of build it like a truly end-to-end system. Where are you with tr- actual travel, plane travel, Airbnb airlines? So the idea is um, we want to build this 
we want to take what is a platform for homes and abstract it so it's just a single platform where we can create 100 businesses or 100 categories. And that's the big technology thing we're doing. We have like dozens of incubations going. Name um, a few. I'm sorry? Name a few. <laughs> um, content, you know, where, where travel content is a huge one. Mm -hmm. um, so the biggest problem with travel content for us is people open travel guidebooks, TV shows, and we don't exist in any of the travel media. I mean, it's obvious why. We're not major advertisers. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that we're step four in the travel booking process. So you have inspiration, planning, flights, then Airbnb. So everyone comes to Airbnb with a destination in mind. And so you're kind of really far down the funnel. So content's a big one we're looking at. Um, services, you know, there's about... Does that mean a magazine, a travel show, or whatever? I would love to put content in the app so you actually come to Airbnb instead of going to some other website to figure out where to travel. A Condé Nast Traveler. Yeah, like imagine coming to Airbnb to figure out where to travel and the content is so much more interesting because it's not tourism. It's like, here are local communities, here's it's, like the it's local... It's Instagram stories, right? Which you just kind of launched a That, that was a, a bit of an experiment, thing. but yeah. yeah, yeah, it's going that direction. Right. I've also seen a slide where you're launching like grocery delivery and... Things like that. There will uh, be a lot of different services. Like, meaning and, if you go somewhere, the food. Yeah, yeah. We don't necessarily have to do them all. Like we plugged in Resi, which is a restaurant reservation app. We said, we don't need to get in the business of restaurant bookings. People do that passionately. But what we are different, differentiated about is typically um, you know, community-driven travel. All right, let's really get to matter. the heart of the problem, though. Regulation. Um, yeah. That's a, so that's, you're having some issues in every major city. For the last seven or eight years, yes. we've had probably started in 2010. All right, where are the real vulnerabilities? Let's talk about San Francisco and New York. Yeah, San Francisco and New York are two of our four worst cities in the world. Worst cities. I'm sorry? Worst or biggest? Two of the four most difficult cities from a so regulatory Talk about that. What, on, honestly, talk about like what is the... New York has been a standstill since 2010. In 2010, I said this is going to be a one-year challenge. Mm -hmm. And then in 2011, I said this was probably going to take a few years. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, it's going to take more than a few more years. It right. doesn't seem like the end is in sight with that challenge. Um, What's the challenge? The challenge is like that you have... I challenge, but go ahead. Well, it is a huge challenge, yeah. but we're still there, and we're still really right. large, and we're a lot bigger than we were the last time I saw you in New York. Right, right. So, so the challenge is that... Um, the challenge is that um, you have this huge hotel industry. By the way, well done on that one, but go oh, ahead. Thank you. Move along. <laughs> we have this huge, ho there's a massively powerful hotel industry mm -hmm. in New York and hotel unions that have really galvanized people and created this kind of perpetual battle. And so we have tried to, for example, ho pay hotel tax, which would have been hundreds of millions of dollars. And we're accused of not collecting hotel tax, but we haven't been allowed to. We've done it in 500 other cities around the world. Um, so this thing is just a kind of political standstill in New York. San Francisco is different. It was a political standstill, and we had this new system last year, a pass-through registration, where everyone, they list on Airbnb, we automatically register them with the city, share their information with the city. This, the hosts know this is happening. They get a registration number. They put the registration number on their listing, and then we collect remit hotel taxes and give the hotel taxes to the city. That's a pretty reasonable solution. We've done this in Philadelphia and Chicago and cities all over the world. New York, many people don't want that to get solved. And do you leave New York? I think we talked. We've I, talked I, about We had dinner and your advice to me was to leave New York. Yeah, so? Uh, we haven't done that yet. All right, okay, why? why? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll tell you what I told you at dinner. That if it was just a business decision, it probably wouldn't be worth it to stay there. It, but we're not there just for business. There are 50,000 people 
that depend on it to make income. And if you were to shut a market down, that's 50,000 emails, 50,000 really long stories about people who need this money to earn income. And so I can't just make a decision from a purely business perspective. The moment you create something and people come dependent on you, you have a responsibility. And that's the responsibility we have, is to continue to do this so for them. Let's talk about that, because that, that's a great slide. You know, up and to the right, uh, homes, yeah. listings, yeah. hosts. Um, people make money, yeah. but rents also go up, and people have fewer places to live, yeah. and you know, there's some this element is the, of... This uh, is the tech responsibility part of the discussion. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, how do you balance that? Like, what's the right... It's a hard balance, and listen, um, we want to make neighborhoods better. We don't want to make them more expensive. And by the way, I love that I can stay in the Marais in an Airbnb, because there's no good hotel there, and yeah. in Silver Lake, and wherever else. So it is a great thing for the traveler, but kind of might suck for the person living next door, I don't know. It does sometimes suck, and so what we've done is we partner with cities, and if some cities really want a lot of Airbnbs, and some cities want to have more restrictions, and we go city by city. I mean, here's the end of the day. We want to be, we want to be good for neighborhoods. We don't want to be bad for neighborhoods. There's a, sometimes a trade-off between what a neighborhood wants and what hosts want and what the business wants, and you have to find that balance. Oftentimes, we end up going on the side of the city, like in the city of New York, we removed all people that had multiple listings. In the city of San Francisco, we are, you know, we are smaller than we were pre-registration in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. That was definitely a, a, a trade-off. But Amsterdam wants to kick you out. Yeah, and it, this controversy in Amsterdam predates Airbnb. Explain that for people who don't. People in Amsterdam feel like there's too many tourists to Amsterdam. Now, you also have a lot of um, you know, big bus tourists coming into Amsterdam. And so I think this is a major backlash against mass tourism. You know, on a an Airbnb, most people stay much longer, you know, typically around a week, not a few days. It's a pretty different use case. So we want to be part of the solution, but we are a tiny little section of a much broader tourism economy in Amsterdam. 95% of people going to Amsterdam are staying in hotels. And the pushback isn't housing as much as just mass tourism in the city. They call it museum. they're focused on you. They are focused on us and our competitors as well. Yeah. We're going to take another break to thank the sponsors who bring the show to you. We'll return to this interview with Airbnb's Brian Chesky from the Code Conference after this. Today's show is brought to you by Away Travel. They ask thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them most about their luggage. Then they made an affordable, high-quality suitcase that solves all these problems. Choose from a variety of colors and four sizes, including two carry-on cases. My son, Louie, has a black one. I have a green one. He's trying to steal mine right now. Each suitcase is made of premium German polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, but also lightweight. There's a TSA-approved combination lock built into the top of the bag. And inside each one, there's a removable, washable laundry bag that keeps dirty clothes separate from clean. Here's the really cool part. I am always on my phone, and if it dies when I'm traveling, this is a huge hassle and a major international incident. But both sizes of the Away carry-on can charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, and anything else that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the carry-on can charge my iPhone five times, so it's convenient. Also, my son Alex can play Fortnite all he wants. There's a 100-day trial period, and shipping is free to the lower 48 states. Sorry, Alaska and Hawaii, I guess. Oh, well. To get $20 off this amazing suitcase, go to awaytravel.com slash recodecode and use the promo code recodecode during checkout. One more time, that's awaytravel.com slash recodecode and use the promo code recodecode during checkout. 
I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week, we answer your questions about consumer tech and the week's news. This week, I talked to Renee DiResta, an expert on disinformation and so much more about our horrible digital life right now. Renee, what did we talk about? I was real happy. I was happy. Um. <laughs> talk about disinformation and, and its Disinformation, impact. its impacts, misinformation, how we talk to each other, mm-hmm. um, how our leaders communicate with us. Um, how to restore civility to the dialogue in an age of yeah. algorithmic conversation. Yeah, I just say, put your Twitter down. Put it down right now. That's what I say to a lot of people that are on Twitter sometimes, and that I know, I text them, I'm like, put it down. So it's, a, it's great advice. Everybody needs that. Yeah. yeah, I have a very well-known friend who was arguing, ar- was arguing, in fact, with a bot, and I'm like, you're arguing with a bot, stop. <laughs> anyway, you can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. This seems like such a, uh, an important part of people's lives, but for whatever reason, and you're in, in many ways cut from the same cloth as Uber, a you know, disruptor using um, interesting new marketplaces, using technology to, to build them, um, and, and many cities hate you. Many, how have you managed to avoid, though, the delete Airbnb type crisis where you know, people hate you more than they should. Well, I don't think we're cut from the same cloth. I mean, Yeah, I mean, you're we're, kind of the anti-Travis in many Well, ways. we're different. I mean, and, you know, like, and um, in 2010, New York passed this law, and my instinct was to fight. And that was a natural instinct. My also instinct was when people don't like you, avoid them. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to them. And then we hired this incredible woman who's now our COO, Belinda Johnson. She told me two things. When people hate you, talk to them and partner with them. And I said, that is, like, absurd. Why would I do that? And she said, give it a try. And I meet with people who have entrenched positions that you're terrible, you're, ru- you're ruining the city. And we'd say, okay, well, tell me, like, let me tell you about Airbnb, how it works, let me hear your concerns. And 99 of 100 times, they would hate me less when I left the room. And so I said, well, I should just enter more rooms. And I just kind of said, who hates me the most? Let me just talk to that person. Mm-hmm. It was fun, by the way, these conversations. Yeah. Um, one time I met a politician and they said, you're like ruining my city. And I said, um, can you tell me more? He says, let's turn on the internet. And they pointed to a television. So th- it, it became very clear that people had fundamentally different amounts of understanding right. um, about Airbnb. But I want to say this. Like, I don't think all cities hate us. I, we've done 500 agreements, tax agreements. We've collected $500 million in hotel tax. We will soon be the largest collector of hotel tax of any company in the world. So... You read about news, you don't read about the 81,000 other cities we're in. So, and again, it comes down to partnership. Now, we're not perfect, absolutely not. There are um, externalities to, to all of our businesses. When I came to Silicon Valley, you know, we all thought we were just good and benevolent, and tech was making the world a better place. And I think that kind of bubble made us not ask hard questions about the ramifications of our products. And I think what's happened over the last 10 years, and especially the last few years, mm-hmm. is all of us are acknowledging that we have a greater responsibility. And Airbnb has a greater responsibility than I thought, probably even when I was back here in 2015. Mm-hmm. We do have a responsibility in neighborhoods. We do have to improve things. What about, what about in some of the things that you got in trouble in the early days? I remember you and I had a, I'm going to repeat this, but you and I had a, it was a weird place. We had an event where we yeah. talked, and there were hotel people there or something like that, and they were challenging you on that at the time when they had the, that, that problem with the woman that you guys responded to. Oh, the woman's, the woman's yeah, home that was the woman's home. 
And I can't believe you said this, but you, I was, there, there was crime in other places, and you said, I'll never forget this, you go, hotels have been having orgies for decades now, yeah. Yeah, um, which I yeah. thought was the best answer I've ever gotten. Well, they are great for you. them. Yeah. yeah, they are good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, not from personal experience. Okay, but right. me neither, me neither. Yeah, yeah, well, no. we've read about I it. I didn't see you there. Though. Yeah, no, no. So, um, so, um, uh, so one of the things we took, this, you had an issue, like that issue, you responded kind of cloddishly to the original one. It was you, very you a, bad. It was very bad. I was bad. screwed up. Yeah. So the you know why? Because why, I was listening to what I thought were experts, and experts say don't accept responsibility. If you do, you'll be liable. And I didn't, and then it got worse and worse and worse. And one day it got so bad, I said, if it all went to hell, how would I have wanted to act and been remembered? And I said, for now on, I'll just do things like that. And so we just said, we're sorry. We're going to do a, a host guarantee. And I call that being a principal decision as compared to a business decision. Mm -hmm. And a business decision is trying to forecast how it's going to, you know, what's the right move based on how it's going to end. But these business decisions often end up, you end up on the wrong side of them because you can't actually predict how they're going to end up. And you just recently had an experience with some African-American women, is that correct? Yeah, that, yeah. Explain what happened there for people. Um, there were um, some women that were checking out of an Airbnb and the neighbor said, those people don't live here and they called the police. Mm -hmm. And it was incredibly um, discouraging situation, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't directly there wasn't too much we could do in that circumstance because it wasn't a direct community member. But we did reach out to the guest. Um, but we have had a history of um, in 2015. It was pretty well reported 2016 uh, discrimination on a platform. Right. And so from there, we decided we're going to have a zero tolerance discrimination. We made every single person click a box that said, "I will not discriminate based on age, sex, race, religion." The tens of thousands of hate mail we got from uh, community members was, was vast. Last year in Charlottesville, um, people were trying to stage after parties for the rally in Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. That was actually happening. And so we actually had a team. It was actually elevated by our community. We canceled these reservations. We tried to snuff out as much as we could. And that, you know, we got in the wrong, you know, we, 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 got, we became a pretty big target of people, you know. So what we decided was we can't intervene in every social issue, but when it's related to our mission, you should lean out, and like, le like lean into that line. And that's what we decided. What do you do. make of what has happened with Uber and Facebook where things haven't been done correctly? I think that, um, I think that, Tech has maybe been trying to stay out of trouble rather than the leadership um, place that the world wants them to be in. And I don't think that's specific to any company. I think that's the culture. We thought we were good. Well, if we're good, why do we need to do more? And suddenly we're so big that we have a huge impact on society. And so if you go to a, you, go, you walk into a company's board meeting, for example, every chart is going to be typically something oriented around the financials. And the customer of that, that, that information is an investor. Well, actually, it turns out companies have more stakeholders. Like, we have employees, we have guests, we have hosts, and we have communities we live in. Imagine at a board meeting, you would report on the results, not just for investors, but all these stakeholders. I think these are the kind of things that we haven't, we haven't done yet, but us and other companies are going to need to do. We're going to need to consider our impact on society. And what I've what I basically been saying is most companies are oriented around a 20th century model. It's a little bit more short-term. You serve your shareholders. And I think society expects more of us. And what I think society expects us to have a much longer horizon, but more importantly, balance the needs of society with the needs of the business, and actually measure your impact with these different stakeholders and make commitments. 
this is day one for us, and I hope more and more companies follow the lead, rather than just cherry-picking certain issues. Just think very broadly about the impact you have on the world. Okay, we're going to get some questions. Are you going to IPO next year? We'll be ready to IPO next year, but I don't know if we will. Why? Well, you know, we're very, very, uh, we have investors who are really patient, and I want to make sure that it's a major benefit to the company when we do it. Do, but, you, wa- do you want to, watching Evan and others? Well, you know, I just saw, uh, you know, uh, uh, Katrina backstage, and she's, you know, we were talking about it, and it was very clear, like, for her, it's been a great experience. And most people I talk to have said it's been a good experience for them. Mark is a big proponent of it. So Zuckerberg. I have no, yeah, so I have no issues with it at all, okay. whatsoever. So it could, could, it could happen. Could happen. All right. Questions from the audience. Hi. 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 Uh, Roizen here. It's interesting to hear you talk about the initiatives that, that you're embarking on in major cities like New York and things like that. But there are also a tremendous number of small cities. And I own a couple rental properties in small cities that are, that are adamantly against having Airbnb. And I've noticed that the residents of those cities are better organized than the people who own properties who don't live there. Are you a host on Airbnb? I am not because I I don't have the rental permits because the cities in charge of that are not allowing us to get the rental permits. And I'm literally selling one of the properties because if I can't rent it, I don't want to own it. And what I've noticed is that um, I actually reached out to Airbnb and I said, do you guys have any data or assistance or things that you can do to help organize the people in the community who own these properties with data, for example, about the home values going up or other things we can use to be helpful, but there wasn't any such organizing function. I'm wondering if you've ever thought of organizing Mm -hmm. the owners or the the prospective Airbnb renters, hosts, with empowerment of data and some support because these smaller cities, I know they're not as, as... as powerful in the short run, but if you lose those battles at the, at the level with the local governments, it's kind of over for a lot of those places. No, you're right. And most of our business is not in big cities. I mean, two-thirds of our business is in small cities, what you would call the long tail. Um, what you're describing is what we're doing in hundreds of cities. We just haven't figured out how to do it in tens of thousands of cities. The two most effective things that we've done in cities is organize our host, and I think we have a few hundred host clubs. We want to have a thousand. I'm not sure if your city would be one of the thousand. And we do give data to cities. Um, I think what you're describing is a little more of a kind of platform technology approach where the information could be a little more self-serve. People could become ambassadors for a city, get a bunch of information, get a playbook. So we haven't systematized it, but I do agree. We kind of started with the big cities, so we're probably not there yet. But I think that's probably in our future. Thanks. Thank you, though. For BlackRock Solomani Music Publishing. Hello. I'm actually a, an experienced host. Oh, so, you are. So I can attest to a lot of things that you've said, and you're absolutely on point. So I took some notes. I got uh, two quick questions, and then I wanted to say something. What do you, what's your experience? Um, I started out with be a DJ for a day. Oh, cool. Nice. And because I got to work out the kinks through there, it's directly the reason why I have my intensive here at Code. Cool. Through your experience. Um, do you consider Airbnb an SBA? It seems to be like the biggest thing in the world for as far as an SBA. Was that the initial idea? Like a small business? Yeah, because, I mean, you're giving all these hosts an ability without a loan, without any startup costs. You're absorbing all of that. You're exposing it to the world, and then you're just taking a small piece on the back end. And was that, was that the initial idea? Yeah, and, um, we do. I've never used those words, actually, like that description. We basically say we're a community of entrepreneurs or like micro-entrepreneurs because most people don't think of our host as entrepreneurs. Um, 
And again, that goes back to the thing I think people misunderstand. They just see real estate. And I think what I like about experience is people will see what our community is. It's people. And so I do see us as a way, you know, listen, Airbnb is not going to solve the economy's problems today. But it's pretty clear hundreds of millions of jobs will be automated. And so a lot of companies are going to be thinking about creating new economic opportunities. And I think we can probably create you know, tens of millions of entrepreneurs. I'd like, before I die, for 100 million people to be able to say, I earned income on Airbnb. That would be what I'd love to be able to say. I mean, I've done mid-five figures through your program. It's absolutely a real thing. I've been up to the headquarters and spoken in oh, front awesome. of them. And anybody who's been and seen me speak sees how passionate. And I've, ha I've had people tear up coming to me. I wow. want to thank Farzad, Brett, <laughs> Brett, uh, right, okay. Brett, Joe Bot. Joe Bot's been wonderful. Lamar, oh, Jim, no. Bashir, yeah. and Wayne. Thank They've you. all been really Thank supportive, and I think it was important to share that. Thank you. Right. Hey, I had Brian. a terrible experience doing my trash yelling thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank nobody. Hi, Brian. Hey, Julie Hunt. How are you? you? Um, as someone who has been a fan of yours for a while, I'm curious where you're getting your inspiration these days. And, I'm, and this is loaded because I remember years ago you were Uber's number one user and I look at the parallels between the growth at Uber and that you've had for the last decade and I'm just curious where a sweet guy from Niskayuna, New York oh, is God. looking for inspiration these days. Um, yeah, I was the number one all-time writer at one point. Um, so I, I've been pretty shameless about seeking mentors, people that um, I could get time with. Um, Cheryl was here, t I think, last night. Mm -hmm. She has been a very important mentor of mine, as has um, you know, Warren Buffett and um, other members, so I, I, I've been pretty, um, I've been pretty shameless about reaching out to people. Somebody once said, uh, I remember meeting somebody who's like pretty well known. And I said, like, well, um, how many people do you mentor? And they say hardly any. And I say, why not? And said, because no one asked me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, well, that's a good sign. I should be pretty shameless in asking. And every step along the way, I've been shameless. And I say shameless because I think people are really proud to ask for help. And I think like. My point of view is I don't want thousands of people paying for my learning curve. That's like ridiculous. So I should fast track that. Good to see you. Thank you. Hi, Brian. Hey. Jana Rich from Rich Talent Group. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Also like Jolie, a big fan of yours. Thank you. You were here on stage three years ago and made a pretty public commitment to adding a woman to your board. Oh, so yes. I was just curious if there's any update on that. Yeah, I've been so trying to find that out, by the way. And they're, they're very locked tight. It's unusual. I usually can find things out pretty quickly. Yeah, you're very good so at that. So that's either there's no, you haven't hired them or? We haven't, we haven't brought them on yet. Um, literally yesterday, I was meeting with one of, the one of the people I'm very excited about. We will hire, we will, I say hire, we will appoint uh, one person at least, one woman this year. I'd like to add two this year. Um, and we're probably going to add somebody who's got an audit profile and then somebody with a broader business general management profile. And what about more, what is your board now? It's six people, so three founders. Um, three guys. Yeah, yeah, it's six guys. Uh, Ken Chenault is our only independent director, and he was uh, CEO of America Express yeah, until this past February. Yeah. So he's the only independent director. So we have a situation where we need to add at least two or three independent directors at this and point. And how are you looking for those? From, from, how, what is your criteria? You know, it's an interesting thing, because there's plenty of people to look at. What there takes, are plenty of people to look at. What takes so long to do that? Two things. Number one, um, you know, we are focusing our pool on... Um, people that can add diversity to the board. That's number one, really important. And number two, um, we really want to add people that have a really long horizon, understand the nature of our community. 
And, you know, I want to have really long relationships with these people. So, you know, it's been really this kind of um, experience where you spend a lot of time with people. So, um, but I think we could point a few people, you know, pretty quickly. All right. On that, thank you, Janet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Brian, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this interview from the Code Conference. We'll be releasing all of the interviews from this year's events in this podcast feed and on Peter Kafka's show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Recode Media with Peter Kafka to hear interviews with people like 21st Century Fox CEO James Murdoch, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek, and Facebook COO and CTO Sheryl Sandberg and Mike Schrepfer. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about this show. And don't miss my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can find that show and Recode Media wherever you listen to Recode Decode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then.